The future can seem like a scary place sometimes, especially now that things seem to be a little bit out of our control. If you want to hear about the future of work and the future of education and how a gap year can actually set you up for success, stick around for this conversation with Karina D'Souza from Tilt the Future. sharing their stories, ideas, and experts diving deep into how you can make the right decisions in order to have a meaningful gap year. This is the place to be no matter where you are on your gap year journey. I'm Michelle Dittmer, your resident gap year expert. Let's jump right in. Hello there, and welcome to the Gap Year Podcast. My name is Michelle Dittmer, and I'm your host and Gap Year expert. Today on the podcast, you can probably tell my voice isn't quite back to normal, so I will just push through anyways because I want to keep providing you guys with some great conversations. And today is no exception. I have a dear friend, a fellow podcast host, and a, a brilliant mind here to share with you today. So. I'm going to welcome Karina D'Souza. She is host of the podcast Tilt the Future, and her mind is always looking at trends and the way that the future is going to be different than our current state. So she has been busily thinking, busily observing all of the the different information that's coming our way as we work our our way through COVID-19 and into this world of a new normal. So Karina, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And I'd love for you just to give us a little bit of a background on who you are and why are you so passionate about the work that you do? Um, I am a global citizen. I think that might be one reason I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, I grew up in Africa in Uganda um, and was a refugee from there at a young age. I lived in India, grew up and studied in the UK and then ended up working on Wall Street for much of my professional life um, before I moved to Canada where I continued a whole different career um, and continued raising my family. So one of the reasons I love what I do is because, oh, maybe I should say what I do. What I do is I'm a strategist um, and a futurist. I look to the future, five to 10 years in the future, uh, always looking for signs and signals about what might be coming up. Um, And I think one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is because I've watched how often life doesn't show up the way I was planning for it to do so. And yet we're able to survive, yet we are able to flourish in many cases. And I think that gives me a lot of hope. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but um, I'm just always very excited to see what the future may hold and what possibility there is and And to teach other people that that's possible. I think that's so so interesting and and like this is not looking into a crystal ball to see what the future is going to hold this is actually observing the trends and all of the the different signs as you say about about what you're seeing and 
in, in a previous conversation, you talked about the COVID-19 pandemic really being a catalyst or an accelerant for a lot of the things that you have been talking about for years. Um, maybe can you talk about some of the, the trends that you have been talking about for years that, that might be coming a little bit sooner than you originally thought? Uh, sure. Uh, maybe I'll give you a tiny bit of history in that. So my background um, in the US was actually on Wall Street. I was in the technology department of a major uh, Wall Street organization. And in that role, I ended up helping out with strategy. And that was my introduction. I went from being this very logic-minded programmer to being invited into this world of possibility uh, and introduced to this concept called scenario planning. And in scenario planning, you're not forecasting. So if you uh, get a chance to visit my website, you'll see something called a future casting workshop. And Future casting is different from forecasting because it's not a predicted future. It's an invitation to imagine what could be positive and negative and everything in between. So it's a, it's a way to play. It's almost like Sim, you know, when the, the game Sim. The Sims, you kind yeah. Of, yeah, you create your own world. You know, if you, all these games that exist out there, you know, you put your house where you want your house to be. You use whatever transportation you choose in whatever technology exists, because it's something you've imagined. Um, and it, the beauty of a future casting world is that there will never be a wrong answer. Not everything will happen, and some of it will. And I think that is where you asked about, you know, where I get my energy and my positivity about all this. That's where it comes from. It's this idea that I don't have to be completely right. And uh, having grown up in a very uh, STEM-oriented background, math and statistics being my main subjects, um, I was always used to right and wrong. And this was the first time that that whole universe opened up for me. The, the, the world that had existed between 2005, I know this is dating me, but 2005 <laughs> and 2013 was completely different, especially from technology. And one of the things that happened was um, I was advising my children on their careers from a very traditional perspective. Um, you know, the things that had worked for me, the things that had worked for my siblings was the, was the advice that I was offering my children. But as I started moving myself back into a world of strategy, I began to see that technology had leapfrogged so many careers and that most of the careers that I was planning on moving my or recommending to my children were not going to be a lifetime of security, which is what the intention was. Uh, so something like accounting, uh, law, even medicine, you know, I began to see the influence of technology in these fields. And so that actually led me from, I was, I was basically focused on the future of money at the time, to start looking at the future of work. So this is going back to 2014, 2015, when I started this discussion or this, this research. Um, and it came, as you can see, just purely selfishly. I wanted to help my own kids. Uh, and it started off understanding that technology was going to significantly change the way careers were going to be impacted. But very quickly, I began to realize that this is going to expand and it was going to be a sea change. We were entering an era 
of an economic, social, uh, political change driven by this, in, this new technology or this new advancement in technology. But it's going to be so dramatic. Um, it's not purely the difference between moving from a manual typewriter to an electrical typewriter. Sorry, say that again. <laughs> from a manual mm -hmm. typewriter to an electric typewriter. It's the difference from uh, moving from the agricultural era to the industrial era. So that's what I started doing and started looking into. And so from that perspective, going back to the conversation that I think I put on the COVID, um, the challenge that you'd posted a couple of weeks ago, I think that what this crisis has done is actually fast forward all those changes. We're having to deal with them in the space of weeks, as opposed to it gradually seeping into our lives over the period of two or five years. That's why I'm calling it an accelerant. I think it's so fascinating. Like some of the language that you are talking here just really resonates with me. Like the, this idea of the horizon and looking at a very short timeline or a very short runway versus a long runway. Um, I think especially in this time where we're, we're all in a little bit of a state of panic or uncertainty, we default to looking at like, okay, what do I need to survive? What is the next decision I need to make in order to, to, to be okay? And, and that's a very natural human condition because when we were being chased by lions and living in caves, we, that's what we needed to do to survive is what is the very next step for me? Mm -hmm. And looking at how this is going to change the world and looking at the, the longer runway, that longer horizon and, and seeing beyond what just that next step is going to be is a, a different way of approaching all of the uncertainty that's happening right now. And I know a lot of families are looking at, okay, well, what is my kid going to do next year? What is the end of this school year going to look like? What is September going to look like? And that's about as far as we can look into the future when we're in that headspace of panicking or decision-making. And sometimes it can be healthy to, to take that longer look. Um, so do you have any um, suggestions to help people move beyond what's happening right now to look at a larger picture? Is there anything that you can suggest or any um, little thought nuggets that might get people curious about a, a bigger picture uh, vision for what's going on right now? Uh, there are a couple of ideas. Uh, one is going to sound really simple, but I think one of the first questions you should always ask yourself is how long do I think I'm going to live? And that might sound <laughs> pretty profound when you're, when you're 15 years old or 18 years old. But in reality, our lifespan has just expanded. Um, so there's a good chance that a young person today is going to live to the age of 100, probably even longer. Um, most of us are probably going to reach that like a 90-year-old to 100-year-old time span. So in that context, what is one year? And I, and I ask you in that way because time is this really interesting construct. On one hand, we feel we have to keep up with everybody else. But in the grander scheme of things, time is really expandable. And if it takes us 
five years to do a degree or it takes us eight years to do a degree, in the end, it's what have you learned in that time period that decides how productive you're going to be 20 years from now. So am I making sense? To me, in my head, it makes a ton of sense. So, <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. It might not be completely clear with everybody else. But to me, I, I think that was one of the... Um, I find, I find time very freeing because when you look at the same 24 hours and you think of how you can spin your wheels and not get anywhere, and sometimes you can just take a 10 minute walk, clear your head and come back and pound out what you needed to get done in the space of 30 minutes. I think that's beginning to explain to you what I'm talking about. Sometimes we use time as a clock without understanding the value of time. Uh, so from that perspective, um, one of the tools that I often ask people that I work with to use is this little family calendar. It's really simple. And if anyone uh, is interested in getting a layout of it, just uh, email me. I'll give you my contact at the end of this podcast. Um, but in essence, what it is, I'm, I ask people to sit down and say, okay, for each of my children, for myself, um, for my uh, for my siblings, you write down all the people in your community that matter to you, their age, and where you think they're going to be in their lives physically, um, in terms of of uh, you know major deliverables in their lives over the next three years, and then you start working on a. Um, three-year gap after that. So let's say we go 20, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2025, 2028, 2030, 2035, 2040. You know, 20, uh, 40. And you actually work this way out until you're about, say, um, and when you map them all together, you realize that there are decisions you can make today that are going to significantly impact your life many years from now that could be different from ones if you're only looking at what's going to happen in the next year. And so you use the phrase long runway, and I love that. Um, I use time horizon, but it's, I like the, the long runway concept because it's exactly that. You're, you're setting your sights further out. And the value of doing that is it's like a game, right? In a game, if you're looking at a board or you're looking at a, a, your screen and you can only see what's in front of you right now, you probably have two or three choices. But if you pull back, if you can zoom back out, and you can look at the bigger picture, suddenly you realize maybe you could do a U-turn, maybe you can scale us a wall, maybe you could knock down a wall and somehow get to the other point in a different way. And that is the value of having this long-term and short-term discussion with yourself all the time. So I think that tool, as simple as it sounds, is something that really puts in perspective what you need to get done when. And the other reason I find it really valuable is uh, as individuals, and I think it comes out of being in the industrial era, we tend to think in terms of our professional life distinct from our personal life. So um, when I first came into doing the future of work, one of my primary interests was the leadership for women. 
I came out of a generation where it was really tough for women to move ahead, especially once they started having a family. And you almost had to make a choice as to whether you wanted to raise your family or do well in your career. And I think that if I had recognized what I could have done earlier, if I had a map like this, a time map, there are things that I could actually have done professionally that would have bought me more credits, if you like, of moving ahead in my career, whilst I've also focused on having my family. So, and, and now we're seeing that conversation um, across both genders. So it's no longer a, a purely a women's leadership con um, conversation. It's how do I blend? How do I have a productive life that is not purely work, not purely play, but how does it become a productive life that is a life balance where I'm able to raise a responsible and engaging next generation, as well as enjoying what I've invested all these years in studying so that I can actually have a career that I'm, in, I'm thrilling to do. I love those two tools. Those are, those are fantastic. And I, even just sitting here myself as a fully grown mom, thinking, thinking about looking at my life that way, I can see even just sitting here in the last couple of minutes, some of those, those key ways that my brain is thinking about my path very differently. Um, and so I'm going to take that home and I'm going to do that for my homework um, <laughs> from, from this. And I'm sure others might, uh, might be reaching out to get that tool from you as well. It was so, really funny. The, the uh, one time I remember sitting down, it was a young lady who wanted to be an author and she and her mother came to have a um, conversation with me and they did the tool. And I, I give each person the timeline to fill in individually so they don't do it together. And um, so the young lady, she was, I think she was 17 or so, you know, she was uh, just finishing school and she wanted to, interestingly enough, she was debating whether she should take a gap year, um, maybe take a different route through education. And that was a conversation we were having. Uh, so hers was, um, you know, she would probably take t some time out. She'd author a book. She'd then go ahead and uh, um, have this wonderful life, live in New York, uh, all these different components. And when we get to the 10 to 15 year timeline, she was, I think, in Europe, enjoying a wonderful life, it had her own penthouse. And then her mom brought in her timeline. And her timeline was, I'm going to retire early so that I can help my daughter raise her family. And the two of them looked at each other and the daughter said, I'm not planning on having kids. So that just goes to show how you know, even under one roof, you can have very different expectations of ourselves and of the people around us. And I think those are very healthy discussions to have. And it's interesting in this moment in COVID, we actually have the time to have those kinds of discussions. So these tiny tools, as simple and as, as uh, nondescript as they look when you receive them, can actually be a trigger for some very deep and interesting conversations. I love that that, that mom had, a, had an opportunity to... To, to realize what she was foreseeing for her daughter and, and that that wasn't necessarily aligned with where her daughter wanted to go in life. Um, sometimes we, we have those assumptions or we have expectations, even similar to your story at the beginning, what you thought would look like success for your kids. Um, it turned out that maybe that's not the, the, the place where the, the world is, is saying success is, is going to be. Right. So, 
So looking at the, the shifts that we're seeing because of this pandemic that we're in, what are the opportunities for young people? And, and how can they take advantage of this new normal that everybody's calling it? How can they really, as innovators, as young people with brains that are that think differently than old curmudgeonly adults, how, mm-hmm. how can they actually uh, seize the opportunities that are before them? I think both you and I are big fans of Ilona Doherty. Mm-hmm. I love the way she describes how um, a young mind is at the at the height of its creativity and its ability to question uh, the status quo. And I think this is absolutely the right moment for that. Um, I'm actually going to bring you two or three different other phrases, and you probably have come across them in different people's writings. But I think one of the interesting moments in time that we have right now, first of all, I call it a pocket in time. It really is like that hiccup. Um, You've kind of got this little blip that you'll see many, many years from now, and it'll be all the space of like three to six months. And in the grand scheme of things, you'll be like, oh, I wonder what that was. And people will be able to go back and go, oh, yeah, that's when every, the whole world shut down. Um, but I, because there are so many of us at this particular point of time together, I know there's this discussion of the next normal, which I've been pushing, but I think we also got to think of, sorry, the new normal is what we've all been pushing, but I think we've got to think about the next normal. I think we've got to understand that we're going to phase this whole system through. And like anything in life, it's really about a transition. So let's take something as simple as you go away on a week's vacation. When you come back, there is a transition of at least a day where your mind moves from still being in vacation mode to being back at your desk or back at school, where, whichever it is. That little section of time is your next normal. And then you come into your new normal. So it's, this is actually something that we go through all the time. We're thinking of it differently right now because it's a very specific and very different moment. But if you step back, it is something that is within your wheelhouse. It's something that you do regularly. Just right now, it's happening all over in all areas of your life. And that's why it feels so tremendously, for some people, to be un, you know, unmanageable. For others, it feels like they're excited because that's their personality type. Um, so for a young person right now, uh, I would actually look at it like the space race. There are a ton of opportunities out there. There are a ton of problems for a start that have to be solved. Uh, you may actually look at, at the next five years and I have kids who are in that range, right? So this is not a, this is not a philosophical discussion for me. This is very much my dinner table conversation. I have kids who are basically looking at the life they thought they were going to have the next five years, and it's upended in many ways. But our discussion is more about, all right, but right now there are problems that need to be solved. So how do we solve them? And so, you know, you and I had, you were having this discussion about the short runway and the long runway and people thinking about how do I get through September? We do need that conversation because as much as you can dream about what the future may hold, you need to be able to do something today. And for the doing something today, it's look at the problems or the gaps that exist 
and put your shoulder to that. Try and solve for that problem because that will give you material about yourself. It'll tell you what you enjoy, what you do not enjoy. It'll tell you how, how much need there is in this particular area. So let's just say, for instance, you might have been looking to be a travel agent. Um, and that was, you know, you were developing fantastic uh, extreme sports events, packages for a niche market. Well, that world is not going to exist for at least another two or three years. So what do you do in the interim? How do you take that same set of skills and pivot them and use them to solve some of the problems that exist right now? So that's the kind of thinking that you want to use. It's almost like being in a world war situation where it isn't life as normal. It isn't life as we'd like it to be, but we have a situation. We've got to solve for that situation right now. So everyone participates in solving for that situation understanding that you're going to take away from that key skills, primarily EQ skills that are going to serve you very well. So one of the questions you'd ask me is how does this, this pandemic accelerate the future of work? The future of work we knew was going to be very technical. We were going to have a lot of automation. We're going to have a lot of robotics. We're going to have a lot of AI. Uh, there was this blend of, um, algorithms helping shape how our thinking would uh, shaping our thinking and in essence helping us run our lives i think one of the beauties of the pandemic is we're seeing that now as an enabling technology i think in the past there was a slight resistance to being able to step into using robots step into using ai algorithms now we're able to see where they're helpful and where they hurt and obviously, as a community, we're more likely to gravitate towards them in the helpful stage. So, for instance, we're using robots to disinfect um, huge parts of hospitals and probably will move those robots into disinfecting schools as we start opening up schools again. So there are those opportunities now. We're seeing where we can leverage the, the robots positively and not put ourselves at risk. Um, and similarly with AI, where there are some AI algorithms which are bubbling up uses of existing medications that were ne obviously never developed for COVID because COVID didn't exist at the moment, but they're looking at the symptoms that they that they support or that they relieve or um, the underlying conditions, and they trying them out. They're trialing them as as um, something that can help in the COVID battle. So all these are positive uses of technology, and, and I think as a community, as a as a global, you know, as a world, we begin to see the value in that. So in that world, we were going to be relying less and less on our IQ skills, the ability to open up a book and remember, you know, the, you know, the, who the presidents were or who the prime the ministers were. stages of were mitosis. And, yeah. There's exactly. my biology background coming in. <laughs> All, all, all the things that you can now Google, um, we don't need to because Google exists. And if we, if we know what question to ask, we have access to the information. So what becomes valuable is knowing what question to ask. And that actually bounces into the realm of EQ skills. So the EQ skills are everything from being able to have empathy and understanding that someone is at, at um, in hurt and you're willing to step out there and help them the ability to think creatively and and imagine different um, solutions to something 
the ability to see a hole or an opportunity, you know, a possible collision, you're reading a book on one subject one day and you're watching a television show with some other event and you suddenly think, oh my gosh, what if we could take that situation or that technology from this world and try it out to solve the problem in that world? These are the EQ skills. And these were the skills that were going to be the, what you were going to be valued over the next 20 years. And suddenly this crisis has made that much more evident. So there will be parents who will be worrying about whether their kids are learning what they're supposed to learn in these couple of months. But I'd actually argue that the fact that they're learning to cook their own meals, open a fridge and create a recipe based on what is in there is more valuable in the 20 year horizon for this person than being able to answer the five questions that are on the Zoom chat that day. Because that is actually talking about how they're blending the different parts of their world. They're pulling from different facets of what's going on around them. They're stepping into supporting their family because their parents are busy doing their own work and they're filling their own time. They're not being bored. They're, they're becoming creative. They're becoming better communicators. They're negotiating with their parents. All right. Like, how do I do the, um, no, I don't want to do the dishes today. I'll trade doing the dishes for vacuuming day after tomorrow. So all these are skills, but they actually fall in the realm of EQ skills. So that is a blessing that we're actually getting out of, out of COVID is a huge group of um, students, young people are now going to be gifted the opportunity to develop these EQ skills, something that might've taken a lot more years and a lot of other crafted situations. Um, experiential learning was something that, you know, people were talking about in order to help them develop these skills. Now they're doing it just based on life. And I love that because those are the skills that the high school curriculum, quote unquote curriculum, doesn't teach and doesn't measure and doesn't leverage um, because it's a very difficult thing to measure. It's a very difficult thing to put a letter grade to how how empathetic are you? Are you an A-level empath or a B? Um, and so this opportunity is such a great space to, like you said, develop those skills and foster the, the connection between what they know, all of the knowledge they have with the, the creative applications of that, that knowledge and, and being able to test things out in a pretty safe environment where they can, they can form new ways of knowing, new ways of behaving, new ways of feeling, and new, new ways of interacting with each other. And I love it so much and I, uh, be, because it... it, it um, it is an, an analog to the whole gap year experience. Is Those are the skills that we develop on a gap year by giving them the freedom of stepping away from a formal curriculum and, and giving them Absolutely. the time and space to develop in that way. Yep. Yep. And, and um, you know, we think of these things as having come at us right now. But... Uh, as we, I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking back to a webinar that I'd listened to, I think it was 2018 or, um, and uh, I follow the site School of Business, which is in uh, Oxford School of Business. They have a scenario planning group there. And 
this particular webinar uh, highlighted three or four different group, uh, organizations that had used the Said School of Business to help scenario plan for their futures. One of them was Rolls-Royce. And I think it was around 2016, I may have my dates wrong, but around 2016, they were in a position where they might actually have had to close. So Rolls-Royce did a scenario planning session with the Said School of Business. And it helped them like get over this hump and, you know, as you know, they're still in business right now. But what struck me out of that, that webinar, which I listened to so many years ago, was a comment in the Q&A section right towards the end where they were discussing with the participants of the various, uh, from the various organizations. And this gentleman from, from um, Rolls-Royce said that one of the things that he found stunning was that the developments that the Rolls-Royce strategy group thought might happen in the year 2035 had already happened. Like, remember, they'd done this session in 2016. They were already beginning to see it in 2018. So these are things that people at the cutting edge of their industry had imagined might not happen for another 10 to 15 years were already coming into being within five years, within three years of them having done this session. And a lot of them were around automa uh, automation of cars. So that goes to show you that even though we have an imagination of something that might happen, a lot of it was already in play. One of the reasons why so many people were able to switch so quickly to Zoom was because people like you and me had been using Zoom for years. And we understood how lightweight it was, what the, what the ability was for it. So there, were there was enough of a critical mass there that already participated in this. Um, you and I have been having discussions about the future of education. And a lot of the way education might be five years from now, we had actually been talking about in November, might not be that way. This was November of last year. So there, all this has done is accelerate those conversations that were already in play. So for someone who wasn't watching those particular set of signals, they might be thinking, oh my gosh, the world is completely 180 and, and you know, I don't recognize it. But for other people who were in that circle, they're just seeing it as, all right, so now we're able to try out these ideas that we had. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it, and it brings this conversation full circle <laughs> to, to really going back to, to all of these signals that exist out there. And it it's, can feel overwhelming with all of these changes in the near and in the distant future that we're going to see. But I think our young people are so well poised to embrace those changes and to step into a, a different way of life with optimism and with hope and with an opportunity to do it differently. And that's, that's one of the slogans that we use at, at the Canadian Gap Year Association is do it differently. You're still doing it, but you're just doing it differently than you have in the past or differently than other people are doing it. And that's okay because you're still doing it. Yes. So, and I think one of the, the, one of the blessings for them is that um, in the past, if they had a, an idea that they might want to challenge the status quo, they probably had to fight a whole bunch of people. Right now, there are no rules. This has been the state for a couple of years, but in this moment in particular, all bets are off, right? There, are, there is no map for what's going to happen over the next couple of years. 
But right now, we're all explorers. We each have a compass. So set your, set your ideas. You still have an idea of what you want to be, the kind of person you want to be, the who, not the what, but the who. If you want to be a person who cares, if you want to be a person who explores, if you want to be a person who develops, this is the who you are. And you can find many, of, many ways to deliver on that promise for yourself. So that is, I think, one of the great things right now is that you don't have to fight any system. You're in the driver's seat. And you can help create the system that the others are going to have to live by, you know, the next four generations or so. You know, that's than we think. So you guys are... are sitting in a, <laughs> you're sitting in the, in the driver's seat. It's fantastic. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have goosebumps from, from all of that talk of, of the hopeful outlook that we have for our future. And education plays a huge role in that, especially in the lives of our young people. And education is going to change fundamentally in the next little bit from the content that we're, we're going to see. Like if you were to go this year into Psych 101, they, uh, they'll have their content from last year. But even over the course of the last two months where the whole world has shut down, we have learned so much about the way that humans behave and interact and the things that we need um, that even the content in higher education is going to shift and change. So I'm wondering what thoughts you have on the future of education, even in the next two, three, four, five years. Yes, uh, this I think a conversation you and I have shared over many um, conferences and coffees. Um, I always felt like the obviously education is a key part to making a dramatic era change. And I felt like that was going to be the, like the aircraft carrier, the, you know, the biggest ship, the one that would take the longest to turn. And I have been stunned over the past year in how education has moved. Um, a lot of um, higher education uh, like universities and colleges have begun to debate how they would engage with, with their future students. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised over the next couple of years if we didn't see a huge switch from uh, the traditional four-year degree to a new blend, something that had shorter degrees uh, I've heard of timestamp degrees, like, you know, I graduated programming in the year 2023. And that kind of date stamps for you what value or what content you might have covered, because technology is moving so quickly. And learning is going to be lifelong. And so we're beginning to see a, a combination of shorter or possibility of combination of shorter degrees and micro credentialing. Why is this important for someone who might be considering a gap year or someone who should consider a gap year is I think in the next five years, the way degrees and the way um, we consider education is going to change significantly. Uh, it, um, so I would worry less about which university you get into and worry more about how you learn how you go about learning how to learn, because these are the valuable skills you're going to be able to take away. 
And you may not need to do that sitting in a, in a chair in a lecture, specific lecture theater. You might be able to do some of that as you've now experienced sitting in a Zoom class, engaging with projects like actual live projects, um, trying to figure out COVID cases. And so I think we're going to see a lot more blend towards experiential learning. And so if you are actually, um, I have always, by the way, advised my kids to take gap years. Um, in my case, none of them listen to me. But I actually do believe that the confidence you gain as you mature in this specific time gap in your life helps you incredibly. I mean, if you want to think about the time value of the money value of time, you could actually spend seven years doing a degree where, you know, you're, you're paying like a thousand dollars for each different unit that you're testing to say, you know, maybe I, you know, today I'd like marketing, but tomorrow I might like statistics and you're testing things out that way. And you graduate in seven years, or maybe you take a gap year and discover a little bit more about yourself and go in and do a four year degree straight off the bat. Or maybe by the time you get in there, they're actually now a blended degree, and you, but you've, you know more about yourself and you're able to cherry pick the components that are important to you. So I think this year particularly, and I'm not making a play for one or the other, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see gap years getting a lot more traction in a lot of areas because there is so much um, that we do not know. But learning shouldn't stop. Yeah, 100%. The gap, yeah. And I think I am also of the mindset being in the space of a lot of education conversations that the micro-credentialing is going to be such a huge piece where people are going to be able to step in and give you recognition for the various skills that you have and the various learning that you're able to do. That doesn't necessarily take you four years to get there. And mm -hmm. we've, we've built that into our gap year certification where you actually earn different badges and different credentials for the skills that you develop over the course of your year, because that's the way that education is going. Employers want to know that you have communication skills. Saying that you have a, a four-year degree doesn't necessarily speak to the level at which you have those communication skills or the self-awareness that you have. Um, and so that's, that's one of the central reasons why we've come about with this gap year certification is to provide you with that external validation. Somebody saying, yes, I've worked with this person and yes, they have these particular skills that employers are looking for and that universities and colleges will be looking for um, validation of in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a really exciting time for gap years. It's an exciting time for education. And for our young people, it's such, uh, this is going to be life defining for them in the way that it's going to change the world that we live in. And there are so many opportunities before us. And taking some time to gain the confidence to step into those opportunities is going to pay dividends in the long run. Yes. I agree. And so, I really enjoyed seeing that you were putting the micro-credentials into your gap year program. Yeah, it's, it's such, a, such an important thing for our young people to get that recognition for the, the learning that's happening in a really yeah. meaningful way, in, and, but a non-traditional way where, where your bum's not in a lecture hall, um, yeah. but you are taking away so many incredible um, skills and learnings and knowledge that you can apply to other things in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I Karina, think it's also, I think, yes. No, go ahead. 
Now, I was also going to say that one of the, the cool things about a gap year, um, any transition from high school into universe into post-secondary life was going to be a life change, right? It's a time when you're cleaving from a group that you've been with probably around 12 years from the time you were a kid. Um, that is significant. And we're kind of experiencing that right now with this COVID crisis, this separation from being part of our group. Um, and traditionally, that would have been the most, the biggest resistance to a gap year is this fact that you're, I'm not hanging out with my friends. And I think that the gap year, the way you've set it up with the micro-credentialing and the ability to, to, to be with other people, it is a stepping stone towards understanding what a more traditional adult life would have been, which is where you're now in and out of different job groups, uh, working with other people. But it's that transition point. And the micro-credentialing is crucial because it gives you something tangible that you can actually point at on a regular basis to show progress at a time when you may feel like you're drifting. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for for all of these gappers to be involved in that program this year and to be a, a space for them to come together to access resources to um, speak with experts in different fields and to have some milestones that they can work towards and some really incredible projects that they can take on um, under under the guidance of some extremely passionate people. So I'm really excited for that uh, to, to come to fruition and to see so many people uh, making this choice this year as a positive way to, to reclaim some of their power, to give themselves some time and some space, and to give post-secondary some time and space to sort itself out so that everybody has a more positive experience moving forward. Um, so Karina, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Your knowledge and expertise is so needed in today's um, uncertainty and the optimism with which we can look to the future is is so exciting to hear from somebody who studies this, that, that we are all in this together and there is so much potential for ourselves and for our young people moving forward. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. Really enjoyed the discussion. Now, if folks wanted to follow up uh, along with you, where is the best place for them to do that? Um, well, I have a website and a podcast, as you mentioned at the beginning. My podcast is called Tilt the Future. And that's because even though we're looking further out, we can actually make small incremental decisions daily that tilt us towards the future we want to live in. Uh, so that's T-I-L-T as, um, as a word. Um, so my website is tiltthefuture.com. And uh, you can either find me on Instagram at Tilt the Future, on Facebook, I've got a page, Tilt the Future, and on LinkedIn as Karina D'Souza. So any of those will help you find me. Um, also Twitter, Tilt the Future. So I should be available on most platforms. And uh, I look forward to engaging with anyone out there who would like to hear more about this. I do future casting um, workshops, but right now I'm focused primarily on getting the, the podcast out and engaging people and thinking positively about what can come next. Because I think, I think the world's our oyster. This is what? a fantastic moment in time. Yeah, what a time to be alive. Absolutely. And we will link to all of those um, profiles in the show notes for folks who, who want to find you and to tap into your expertise. So until next time, keep on adventuring. <laughs>